um, when companies are making these investments, they really need to factor in the exposure of these locations, of their assets um, to these increasing extremes and plan that in um, and build their facilities with that in mind. And, and considering the exposure of the surrounding community too, because their facilities are going to depend on the health and the ability to commute of their workers. Hi, my name is Kristen P. Ahern, and welcome to an archive episode of Sustaining Sustainability. In this episode, Natalie Ambrosio Prudhomme, the director of Moody's ESG Solutions, underlines the importance of integrating the increasing physical and economic risks of climate change and related pressing market crises into financial decision-making. Understanding the complexity of climate finance, its role in our workplaces and frontline communities is a hot topic right now, considering the rollout of new global disclosure standards from the IFRS on top of new regional and national expectations this year. We will also be covering the investor sustainability interface at our Sustainable Business Forum in October, so this conversation is top of mind for us at the CSB right now. We hope you find these insights useful and timely. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Sustaining Sustainability. I'm your host, C.B. Paracharya, professor and director of the Center for Sustainable Business at the University of Pittsburgh. This week, I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Natalie Ambrosio Freud Homer who is a director at Moody's ESG Solutions, a new business unit of Moody's Corporation formed to serve the growing global demand for ESG and climate analytics and empower organizations to make better, more sustainable decisions. Natalie joined Moody's from the acquisition of 427, a leading provider of data on physical climate risk. Previously, Natalie helped develop an assessment of U.S. cities' vulnerabilities to climate change and their readiness to adapt at the Notre Dame Global Adaptation Initiative. Natalie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So Natalie, before we dive into big questions, could you begin by telling us about the why behind your own professional journey to join the outreach and research team at Moody's ESG Solutions? How would you define your personal purpose? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, I'll start back when I was studying environmental science and also journalism, really thinking that I loved the outdoors. I loved nature. Um, I wanted to gain a better understanding of the natural world and also ideally to be outside. But at that same time, I was learning more and more about climate change, both as a concept um, in the ecological research and work that I was doing, but also on the more human and economic side. Um, I really came to understand climate change as what I would call the largest human rights issue of our day. Um, it exacerbates uh, many other uh, challenges and disproportionate impacts um, on a range of vulnerable frontline communities and populations. And so I realized that I, there was a lot of great scientific research uh, underway on climate change, its impacts, uh, nature in general. But what I really saw a need for was 
actually communicating that research and bringing the findings of that research to uh, the greater public um, who might not know of all the great academic research happening. And so that's when I kind of decided that I wanted to spend my career leveraging uh, science and communicating its implications um, in order to really catalyze and inform action um, on climate change. And just for our listeners, ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. This is another acronym that is widely used in the industry. We can call it in interchangeably with sustainability as well. So Natalie, uh, continuing the focus on purpose, what today is the purpose of the climate solutions business at Moody's and, and has that somehow changed over time? How does that purpose guide the work you do and what you decide not to do? Yeah, so to answer that, I'll uh, talk a little bit about how I came to Moody's ESG Solutions, um, which is through the acquisition of 427. So that's really where I've been for the past several years. And 427 is a physical climate risk uh, analytics firm. At 427, uh, our mission was to uh, integrate uh, climate data into financial decision making and to catalyze um, resilience investments. Uh, by doing that, um, by understanding risk exposure. So that's exposure to things like heat waves, wildfires, sea level rise. Um, understanding how assets are exposed is the first step to integrating this increasing transparency, pricing in uh, physical climate risk to then enable um, the resilience uh, investments and decision making. So that's what our work was at 427. And we were acquired by Moody's back in 2019. And we now sit within this Moody's ESG solutions group that we've been referring to. And so this is a broader group. Its focus is to empower organizations to make better, more sustainable decisions, um, really complementing Moody's track record in risk management expertise. It's a continuation of the purpose of what I was talking about before with 427. So we enable the integration of climate risk into financial decision-making. And we do that really by bringing forward-looking, globally comparable data um, that identifies climate risks, both on the physical risk exposure side, which is what I've been talking about, as well as on the transition risk side. Um, so companies or assets, communities, um, preparedness or their risk um, stemming from policies and market shifts that are promoting the the shift to a low carbon economy. That's what transition risk is. That, that's really great to hear. Natalie, for the understanding of our, of our listeners, are you able to give like one example of a company that might, you know, uh, be, be, be at high risk relative to someone else who's doing well? Yeah, so when we think of high risk from the physical risk side, um, Examples come up. So there's automobile manufacturing companies, for example. And for physical risk, what we see um, in our framework looks at the operations risk of a company, as well as a high level view on market risk and supply chain risk. The operations risk is based on an underlying database of about 2 million facilities that we have. And each facility um, based on its location in the world, we've run through our scoring engine that in incorporates data from global climate models, other environmental data sets, 
and provides a forward-looking view on that point location, that facility's exposure to climate hazards like heat waves and floods. We then aggregate up the risk exposure from the facility level to the company level for a specific company. And so that provides a company level view on its operations risk to physical climate hazards, but it's driven by the location of the specific facilities, which is really what's going to cause damage when we talk about an automobile manufacturing company uh, whose manufacturing plants are offline due to a hurricane. Right. Now, that's very helpful, I believe. Um, so just to switch topics a little bit, uh, you might be aware that one of the new work streams of our center, the Center for Sustainable Business, is you know decarbonize middle America with the goal to increasing the number of companies in the region that are aligned to the Paris Accords 2030 targets. What sort of unique risks, you know, physical and financial or, or otherwise, are you seeing in this region surrounding Pittsburgh and Appalachia? Yeah, so that's a really important and multifaceted question. So when we're talking about transitioning to meet the uh, Paris targets, uh, something that's really important is the concept of the dress transition. And that's the idea that as companies shift their targets and their operations um, to align with reducing emissions, that might be completely new business operations, shifting away from heavy emitting industries, um, that it's really important to ensure that the workforce is also able to transition and has the adequate training and support um, to then transition to these new, um, greener, more efficient um, jobs focused on green technology, renewable energy. And something, especially when we're talking about the some of these regions um, in Appalachia in particular, um, is it's important to note that communities that are on the front line of climate impacts, such as those living in close proximity to these coal mines or two power plants, they are also disproportionately affected by physical climate hazards. So conditions like asthma that are worsened by the air pollution and the toxic chemicals that come from living near these power plants, um, these conditions make one more vulnerable to the impacts of extreme heat or wildfire smoke. And so it's really important to think through the need um, for uh, equitable resilience measures when we're talking about this transition. And one other thing I'll flag um, is that according to our data at Moody's ESG Solutions, um, about 133 counties total in the Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Virginia states, so that's not all of Appalachia, but part of it, 83% of those roughly are highly exposed to floods which is a huge, significant portion of those counties in the Appalachia region of those states. So something that really underscores is that it's really essential to prepare for these impacts uh, when companies are looking to transition their work, they're making new uh, investments. Um, when companies are making these investments, they really need to factor in the exposure of these locations, of their assets um, to these increasing extremes and plan that in um, and build their facilities with that in mind and, and considering the exposure of the surrounding community too, because their facilities are going to depend on the health and the ability to commute of their workers. So 
you talked about Moody's ESG solutions. So, so what is Moody's ESG solutions seeing across the value chain where the physical and financial risks of climate change are impacting the whole workforce of that chain? Yeah, so I touched on this a little bit with the auto manufacturing examples earlier, and I'll mention it too in the context of pharmaceutical companies, just as one example, um, where we they're a great example of the multifaceted impacts of climate change across the value chain. And they're also pertinent now due to current events, um, something that's on top of mind for everyone. But Hurricane Maria uh, hit Puerto Rico very significantly. And the about 10% of U.S. Uh, pharmaceutical drugs are made in Puerto Rico. And so that concentration of uh, manufacturing facility uh, in that one place meant that US, the U.S. was bracing for drug shortages and equipment shortages like saline bags, which most of us don't think about but are necessary for many medical procedures. When Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico, um, that led to supply shortages in the U.S. It led Pfizer to report a loss of $195 million um, due to that event. And so there were significant impacts, both um, due to the damage at the facilities, um, the impact on the communities, the workers, uh, but then again, rippling supply chain impacts globally um, because of our dependence um, on this manufacturing that took place in um, exposed areas. Very well put, very well put. Um, as you know, ESG is the talk of town, environmental, social, and governance metrics. Everybody's talking among, about them. And, you know, there are uh, requests for companies to, to measure and to disclose um, these uh, ESG measures. Companies like yours prepare ratings of, uh, of, of these other companies who are engaging in ESG. So what sort of changes in the conversation around physical and financial climate risks have you have you seen recently and which stakeholders are asking uh, what kinds of new questions? Yeah, so there has just been a huge um, shift and acceleration of the way the financial sector is looking at climate risk. And there's several different drivers to this. I mean, we're all experiencing um, extreme devastating events, no matter where we are, which I think is the undertone, um, kind of pushing all of this along. And then on the financial sector side, we have things like the TCFD recommendations. So that's the task force uh, for climate-related financial disclosure. And that was an industry-led group that released uh, voluntary recommendations for companies to integrate climate change into their uh, disclosures. Uh, so investors could understand how they're exposed to risks and also how uh, they have opportunities uh, from climate change. So these were released in 2017 as voluntary recommendations. But what we've seen over the last few years is a huge increase in financial regulators, uh, central banks globally, as well as investors, uh, really uh, putting their support behind these recommendations, uh, encouraging their markets, uh, their investee companies to disclose in line with these recommendations. And over the past year, some countries are even mandating or, or laying out plans to mandate uh, TCFD disclosure. That includes the UK, New Zealand, Singapore, and others. Uh, so that's one 
thing that is really driving um, this increase. It's it's now really from the top. Um, regulation is accelerating. Uh, so having these key financial stakeholders really asking um, tough questions about how do we start to quantify and then manage the risks that our economies and financial systems face from both the transition to a low carbon economy and the physical risks that we already face. Um, how do we quantify that? And then how do we really integrate that into our processes? Um, so these are some both um, drivers and some questions that we're starting to see asked more and more. Fascinating, fascinating stuff, um, Natalie, but we're coming to the close of our time. Um, there's so much information out there and there's so much work going on in, in a variety uh, of spheres. So what's a person to do? I mean, what, what call to action would you make to our listeners? I mean, we have people working in companies, we have, you know, uh, people doing their own thing, the individual entrepreneurs or gig, gig workers or whatever. So what is the call of action that you would make to our listeners? I would really say to take a tangible next step towards integrating climate change into your business or your activities, no matter what you're doing. So I'm sure our listeners are at different stages of addressing climate change or thinking about climate change in their work. So no matter where you are, I would say just take one next step. So if you're a small firm just really starting to think about if, if climate change even should matter to you, I would say start by reviewing some key resources. Um, the TCFD Knowledge Hub is one resource that I'll mention. Um, start doing some reading, thinking about uh, starting to assess your risk um, and get more up to speed on this because it really does affect everyone. If you're a larger um, company or uh, your organization, you've been working on this for a long time, I would say think about how you can take this the next step. So if you have already um, done thorough climate risk assessments, how can you take it from risk assessment to really true climate resilience that considers the resilience of the surrounding communities that make up companies' workforce and clientele. Um, think about how you can just do one next thing. Um, that, that's what I would say to that. Terrific. Natalie Ambrosio Proydom, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And before we sign off, my name is Kristen P. Ahern, and I'm the producer and editor of Sustaining Sustainability. We also want to hear from you. Let us know your thoughts in our podcast survey. Go to bit.ly slash CSB pod survey, all lowercase, all one word. The link is also in the show notes. This podcast is made by the Center for Sustainable Business at the University of Pittsburgh, directed by C.B. Bhattacharya. It is made possible by all our member companies. To learn more about our upcoming programs or about becoming a member, please go to our website or follow us at PitCSB on all social platforms. And if you liked this episode, please share it with a friend or colleague since word of mouth is the best way for us to grow. And we'll see you soon for another episode of Sustaining Sustainability.